Hi, everybody. Welcome to another PR Masters podcast series brought to you by the Stevens Group. In case you don't know already who the Stevens Group is, we are one of the leading mergers and acquisitions firms in the PR and digital interactive space. I'm Mark Stevens. I'm, I am the managing partner of the Stevens Group and your host for today. As you now know, the PR Masters podcast series features luminaries and legends in the world of public relations. And our guest today is certainly in that category. She is Carol Cohn. Carol is internationally recognized for her work in social purpose and CSR. She is on purpose. Is her return to her entrepreneurial roots. It's called Carol Cohn on purpose. And back to her entrepreneurial roots and life's passion, which is to educate, inspire, and accelerate social purpose programs and impacts for organizations and nonprofits around the globe. For more than 25 years, Carol Cohn has embraced a steadfast commitment to building lasting partnerships between companies, brands, and social issues for deep business and societal impact. She adamantly feels that today, companies and brands must have a deeper meaning beyond the bottom line. And in her work, she continually brings breakthrough and lasting big ideas to clients to build their business and societal impacts. Early in her career, Cohn launched the walking movement with Rockport as its leader, which grew the company three times over in the span of four years and led to its acquisition by Reebok. She created the Avon Breast Cancer Crusade, which grew to 50 countries around the globe and raised a billion dollars. For PNC Financial Services, Cohn identified early childhood education as a key aligned issue, which the company supported nearly 15 years, uniting them with nonprofit partners including Head Start, Sesame, Donors Choose, and tens of local grantees to advance this critical issue. More recently, not to be outdone by her past experience, Carol Cohn conceptualized My Special Affleck Duck a social robot developed from extensive child-centered design to comfort children going through an average of 1,000 days of chemotherapy. The robot evolved Aflac's iconic mascot, the Aflac Duck, to deepen the company's engagement with society. And with Aflac underwriting its development and donating the ducks to all children that were newly diagnosed with pediatric cancer, this innovative idea has been heralded around the globe from the tech for a Better World Award and Most Unexpected Product at the 2018 Consumer Electronics Show to Time Magazine's list of best inventions of 2018. Carol Cohn was the founder, CEO, and chairman of Cohn Inc., which was recognized as the nation's leading cause branding consultancy. PR Week called her arguably the most powerful and visible figure in the world of cause branding. And overall, Cohn's signature programs have raised more than $2.5 billion for various social causes. In 2009, she was one of two U.S. judges for the first PR Lions Awards at the Cannes Festival of Creativity. And her book, Breakthrough Nonprofit Branding, was published in 2010. So I am genuinely, genuinely pleased to have with us Carol Cohn, who is 
so well known in the industry that she hardly needed the introduction I gave her. <laughs> <laughs> so, Carol, All right, that, that was such a kind today? introduction. It's so nice of you to be here. How are you today? I am fine. I think that when you when you give me that introduction, I go, whoa, my God, I guess I've done a lot. But, you know, <laughs> for me, I want to do a lot more. Well, you've done a lot, and I know you're doing a lot more. We're going to get into some of those areas that you're – that you have done and, and uh, are doing currently. You you just don't stop. You keep going, Carol, which is wonderful. Uh, are, a client once such called a credit me the, to this industry. Yeah, no, the client once called me the Energizer Bunny. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Carol, my first question to you today sure. is that you, you are considered the PR industry leader in the subject of cause branding. And if my intro of you didn't make that apparent, then nothing else will. <laughs> but... Everyone knows who you are and what you've done in our industry. You've created many of the most meaningful cause-related programs for a wide variety of clients. How did you get into all this? Well, thank you, Art, again for that kind introduction. Um, I was – it came to me, the idea of linking companies and social issues, because of the years um, and the culture and society that that I grew up in. Um, I was just old enough when um, President Kennedy was shot to understand that something really bad had happened. And then Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King. And then I went to college during the Vietnam War years, and I went to a very activist university, Brandeis. And um, I didn't burn any buildings, but I did take some over, did march in Washington. And I was there during a very um, special point in time called the years of the student strike and basically you know we took over all the universities around the country we shut them down we you know we marched in washington etc and we created um a group at brandeis because we're so intellectual there called the national strike information center and we actually gathered information from all the universities around the country and we wrote a press release which I had no idea what a press release was, but we wrote something up. We sent it to AP and UPI, and that was my first experience in kind of organized um, movement making. And then um, after college, um, I rode horses for a while because that's one of my personal passions. Then I went – I thought I was going to go to law school, but I didn't get in. I got waitlisted, but I didn't get in, and so I went back to my – my guidance counselor at Brandeis, and I read um, a, a brochure from Boston University School of Communications. And I read the description. I went, oh, I love writing, and I love communicating and such. And so I applied, and I got a master's in communications, and then I went to work for um, the leading Hill and Knowlton office in Boston, which was Newsom & Company, and I worked there for three years for you know, one of, I believe, the legendary leaders in this field, Peter Osgood phenomenal guy. And then at the very tender age of 30, I said, I can do this better. I had no idea. <laughs> but I started my own firm in uh, when I was 30. And when the Rockport Shoe Company came to me three years later and said they wanted to build their company on PR and promotion, aka they didn't have a lot of money, um, I took them on. And it took a year for me to figure out something more than just taking the shoes to editors because they were ahead of their time. And that's when I linked them to walking for health and fitness because that was the authentic thing that that shoe delivered. So that was the first program that I created to tie an organization authentically to a social issue that was a 
that was needed in this country. And that was the first one. And it came from one of my superhuman powers is that I'm great at connection making. And I'm very curious. And that's how Rockport Walking started. And that's how I think the whole cause branding movement started. And I recall that. I recall that um, very, very clearly. So, Carol, despite selling your long-established agency, you're still very deeply involved in cause branding. Uh, tell us when you sold your agency, to whom, if you don't mind, and what your life has been like since selling your agency and how that led to what you're currently doing. Sure. Okay. So let me just – I'm going to back up a second and just say that when I started doing this work in 1983, linking a company with a social issue – my joke is that I could have had um, a, a dinner for four, me, someone from my firm, and American Express at a table. They were doing Statue of Liberty Restoration Project. Use the card. A few cents goes to restore the Statue of Liberty. At the time, it was called Cause Marketing. And we were so far ahead of our time. And then over the years, as I started doing the work, doing the research to make this truly strategic that was my mission, that not just to do phenomenal breakthrough work, but also to educate anyone who would listen at the time, whether it was a CMO, a CCO, a head of strategy, someone in college, anybody just listening that there's another way that you can create reputation, you can create affinity, loyalty for a company or a brand, and it's having something that is meaningful to your stakeholder, whether it's employees or, you know, citizens, I hate calling them consumers, people who buy your products, um, supply chain communities or such, being meaningful, being relevant. In my gut, I felt that was the way that you could grow a business. And that's what, and Cone in the earliest days, I didn't sell it until 1999. And that was to Omnicom. And, you know, every 10 years or so, there's these cycles of sales of agencies. When we were 10 years old, we weren't old enough. We hadn't done enough. At 20 years old, I was saying I wanted to go bigger. And so um, John Broder, dear friend um, from Boston, had sold to Omnicom. And so he introduced me to um, John Graham, who was one of the most elegant men, brilliant, you know, uh, in the world in terms of the PR field. And we all fell in love. And so I wanted to have more capabilities. I wanted a larger playing field, a larger stage, because I knew I could see into the future a bit. And I connect the dots a lot that companies would need in a world that was more competitive and that younger people, especially my generation, they were looking behind the label. You know, what does a company stand for? Why should I go work there? Why should I work really, really, really hard for someone else unless my values and their values are aligned? And so that's why I sold to Omnicom. And it was, you know, it was wonderful. Uh, they, were, they had amazing um, agencies in their portfolio. I did the tour and met, you know, all these different agencies. I think I was still a little bit ahead of my time because, you know, I thought we would grow two, three, fourfold. We didn't. Um, I did get to go to Omnicom University, which was fabulous at Babson. You, you study cases for Omnicom companies. I met great leaders. Um, I got to, uh, I was the first 
PR judge, as you said, at um, Cannes. There were two of us from the United States, and Omnicom was thrilled about that. I gave the first cause a branding speech on the main stage at Cannes. So Omnicom afforded me a lot of opportunities. Um, but there, were, there was a time when, you know, am I going to stay the head of Cone? You know, we're going towards our 30th year, or was I going to do something else? I did write a book because I felt that the partners, the not-for-profit partners, needed to be more sophisticated. It's called Breakthrough Not-for-Profit Branding, and I did it with some of my colleagues from Cone um, who were just terrific, um, Ann Earhart and uh, Christian Miranda and Jocelyn Daw. So four people writing a book, interesting, interesting project. And so, you know, at near the end of like, you know, getting towards 30 years, I said, hmm, maybe I want to go private again. Maybe, you know, being in a publicly held company, you know, you've got a you know, hard, you know, delivery on numbers. And I'm more about the ideas. I can do the numbers, but I love the ideas. And so um, that's when I looked uh, far field and I said, should I, you know, do take some risks and go someplace else? And that's when I went to Edelman. And I went to Edelman for five years, and it, I had just a phenomenal time. I, I think Richard and I just loved sculling together because he had such an amazing brain, and, and I just loved his big thinking. Wow. So um, that brings you really to today. So what led to what you're doing now? Okay. So I had five marvelous years at Edelman, and what I loved um, about it was I got to go around the globe. Um, and I got to go to um, Brazil and India, and we did global research, the good purpose research. I worked with an amazing guy named Mitch Markson, who I always send hugs and kisses to because he was the one that started good purpose, and he was head of their whole consumer practice for many years. We did amazing things, amazing clients um, there. But, I, but, you know, you're in a larger agency, and I created the most amazing team, 100 people around the globe, I, you know, a lot of them I had to recruit. They were my old buddies from all sorts of walks in life. And for a couple of years, we had <clears throat> the foremost team in the world. But I still had this inkling of wanting to be a little more nimble, be private, be really the name on the door. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, I left in um, five years ago uh, this month, and I started Carol Cohn on purpose. And I named it, I couldn't use Cone because I'd sold Cone to Omnicom. So I named it Carol Cone on purpose because of double entendre. You know, the, the name of the function, it went from cause marketing, cause branding, shared value, um, triple bottom line, CSR. But what was emerging was this new term called purpose. An organization's reason for being beyond profits based in humanity. That is my definition of it. And I wanted to try it again. And I started on my own again. And um, there are two parts of Carol Cohn on purpose. Um, one is at the center, we have a consultancy. And my vision is to be the McKinsey of social purpose, not as large as McKinsey, but certainly as smart and profound. And I got to bring back some of my previous colleagues to join me, Talia Bosch, who's far more of a genius than, and smarter than I am, Christian Miranda, um, who helped to, uh, she was the mother of Go Red for Women. Uh, she helped create both Talia and Christian. We Three of us created PNC Grow Up Great, the program we talked about with about early childhood that is still going on. 
it's in its 15th year, and it's a $500 million commitment to early childhood. It's extraordinary. Oh, wow. Wow. And wow. so at the center, we've got six people right now, but it's surrounding us. I created, I believe, the new model, and the new model is it's a collective. It's called the Purpose Collaborative. I started inviting many of my old friends. I got a lot of friends all over who either had small firms, large firms, or they were sole practitioners, and we now have 40 firms in the Purpose Collaborative, and what we do is we create bespoke teams for clients, you know, very nimble teams, very senior executives, you know, you don't get the third string or so, the, even the second string. And we um, either work under Carol Cohn on purpose or we do bespoke teams for the pur- with the Purpose Collaborative. Um, so it's very, very exciting. And I love the fact that we're five years down the road. Um, it's a little, t- a little tough during COVID-19, but purpose is more important than ever at this time. So. I know that research has uh, always played a uh, significant role in your thought leadership ever, for, ever since your first Cone-Roper Cause report in 1993. So could you describe uh, what role you feel research plays and what's new in it? Oh, my God. I love research. I love the numbers. I love to read and see what you know executives or not-for-profits or citizens – um, at all levels are thinking about this whole um, area of companies and brands aligning themselves with a social issue. And so when I did the first one in 1993, it was wicked expensive. It was $100,000 cash, you know, mm-hmm. and I was a little tiny firm then. And so um, I convinced the folks at Roper to do it. It would be the first in the world. Uh, we co-branded it because their name was far bigger than me, and it was 2,000 in-home interviews for half an hour. And we were very fortunate. We launched it uh, with Stuart Elliott in the New York Times. We had a giant story because it was the first one ever that talked about what was a company's, what was its strategy, you know, engaging with a social issue and how might people respond. And then from the New York Times, it went to, it just went far and wide. And for about 10 years, we were the only one really doing research. And I do research. I've done over 30 studies, um, large and small since then, to truly understand, you know, what are people thinking? How are they feeling? How are they going to act? And um, when I left Cone, and and we also created a newsletter, and um, we just – my goal was to give away this data. And I did tons of speeches. We did reports. And we open sourced it, basically, because I wanted people to see this was strategic. This wasn't just about a donation and being philanthropic. And then when I left um, Cone, um, I was thrilled to do the first comprehensive global research, the Good Purpose Report. And we did three of those at Edelman. Um, And then when I left Edelman, I started continuing to do research. And I worked with, I'm on the board of advisors for sustainable brands and so we did their good life research which was that was became global research positioning what is the good life and it's not accumulating a lot of stuff it's about experiences and it's about health and it's about wellness and it's about relationships first and then from there i finally uh got um enough i guess cash in the bank to do 
Um, our most recent research, which is up on our website now, it's called the B2B Purpose Paradox. Uh-huh. We did it in conjunction with the Harris Poll, who I adore. They did our, our good purpose, our um, good life research, and also the folks at the ANA. And we really, my feeling and my vision was there's many, many, many companies in the B2C world, in consumer products, are engaged with social issues, but not in the B2B world. But we were starting to get assignments from clients around the globe that truly wanted to differentiate themselves with relevance, with emotion, and to truly appeal to the next generation of employee who says, you know what, I've got a lot of choice where I go to work. So I want to find a company that matches my values. And what are they truly doing? So, Carol, aside from the work that uh, you yourself continue to do and cause branding, how do you feel that this niche has developed within the PR agency and corporate sectors as a whole? Okay. Well, first of all, the terminology has evolved. So I really appreciate you giving me the, the mantle of cause branding, but it's far beyond that. Cause right. branding impacts a brand um, on an ongoing basis, like Dove campaign for real beauty. I mean, Dove is synonymous with real, with real beauty. But beyond that, you have shared values, and you have, again, the other areas. So on the spectrum, so there's a spectrum. As, as any category grows, it has segmentation, whether it's, you know, a, an industry or, or others, other areas. In the linking companies and social issues, brands and social issues, even not-for-profits becoming more relevant, more strategic, we call it purpose. And I gave you the definition of purpose. And so what's happening in agencies, there's a difference in agencies and in corporates. First of all, there is a massive amount of small little firms doing purpose work. Right. And it thrills me to see Mm -hmm. the ones that are doing it right, I'm thrilled about. The ones that aren't doing it right, please read my research. Please listen to my podcast, Purpose 360. (laughs) Read our newsletter, Purposeful Connections. Um, You know, go to get training. Uh, go, there are tons of webinars and such. Learn how to do this strategically because when purpose is done strategically, it is an activated purpose versus a stated purpose. And that was the key finding from our B2B purpose paradox. Um, almost, you know, uh, 90% of companies said they had a stated purpose, but only 24% had activated it. And activated means engage, you know, really embedding it into their culture, into their employee policies, into their operations, supply chain relationships, their engagement with society, as well as their innovation efforts. Activated purpose. And so what you see today is that the PR industry, which I always define, by the way, PR, is public relationships management. That's how I viewed it, even way back when, in like 1980, 81, 82, when I got my degree from the School of Communications at BU. Um, It was very strategic. It wasn't just about media relations. It was far more. So obviously the the industry has advanced, and I'm thrilled that it is not about purchase media that makes people act and change their behaviors. It's about how a company acts. And what is core to the company and what are its stakeholder relationships, which just came out of, I mean, in the last three years, I'm just, let me make a segue. 
what's so exciting, because you asked about what's happening in the corporate world, is that when Larry Fink, he, when he finally made his declaration, which is that, you know, companies need to focus on stakeholders, not just shareholders, the line that made Milton Friedman turn over in his grave. <laughs> and then you had um, the business roundtable, 181 signatories saying it is about stakeholders, not just shareholders. And then Davos this year talked about the declaration of, you know, again, stakeholder-based relationships and helping with society. Finally, the financial community embraced purpose, that a company needs to stand for something meaningful beyond the bottom line that impacts its relationships with stakeholders and society. Woohoo! I was thrilled. So there is no excuse. Dare I say, I'll challenge my colleagues at the big firms, the little firms. There's a lot of people from the ad business, the promotions business, in the consulting business. They all are now in the field of purpose. I am thrilled. I'm thrilled with the financial community making their declarations about stakeholders. But please do this strategically. This is not about pink washing, green washing, blue washing. Anything you want. This is about strategically embedding society into an organization that's aligned with its capabilities, that's authentic, that's sustained over time. So, Carol, that leads me to my uh, next question, and that is uh, you've worked with a lot of major corporations over the years, uh, and you've, you, you have a, a tremendous track record with, uh, with, with all of them. Um, have there been times in your past, either with your agency or after it, where you have gotten pushback on the concept of purpose from stubborn and maybe uh, conservative CEOs? So with, without mentioning any names, um, what were some of the reasons why some CEOs you know, engaged in pushback and, and where you perhaps had less success in creating purpose for them than you would have liked? It's a great question because um, purpose is led from the C-suite. Um, you know, I'm, another joke I always use in my speeches, I was six feet tall when I started, and I'm really only five foot one. And everybody mm -hmm. laughs. And if they don't laugh, I say, I'm out of here because if you don't get the joke, I am not going to spend my time with you. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a reason I don't go cold calling on you know, to CEOs, my philosophy is that I need to educate and I need to do writing and thought leadership and share the research and um, do a lot of speeches because a company, you can't do this work until the company, the brand is ready to do the work. You can't do it. It will not work. It will be inauthentic. And there may be there are firms that will just do it from, you know, hey, we're going to do this great brand story. And, you know, and, and um, I love Pepsi when they did Pepsi Refresh. But, you know, Pepsi made that misstep when they had, you know, Kim Kardashian giving a Pepsi to a, you know, in the middle of a, of a you know, a strike with, with, with cops and everybody, um, you know, getting in all sorts of, it was a demonstration. So, you know, one, I, I just, I get, it's, I'm not concerned about the CEOs because when we're invited in, there is already this discussion about, there's this 
yearning to learn more. And so you can see there's like, you know, there's this educator in me, there's this teacher in me, because I want to, you know, and my purpose is to up-level everyone else's purpose. And it, whether, it's a, whether it's a C-suite, whether it's a student, I mean, I was on the board of Net Impact, which is the not-for-profit for socially responsible MBAs for nine years. They finally got rid of me. They said, you're here too long. You got to get out of here. You know, and I'm on the board of advisors of sustainable brands. And um, I'm helping uh, Yulu PR, um, Melissa Orozco, who's got this amazing idea called Impact Relations. She wants to codify kind of like the, like um, the corpse that, you know, people will sign pledges about doing purpose work authentically. And, you know, she, she reminds me of a young Carol Cohn. So I, I spent a lot of time mentoring her. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot changing, um, but you can't push a rock up a hill on this one. I, I would say that there's an organization called CCP. It used to be the Committee Encouraging Corporate Philanthropy. They started about 21 years ago. They're now Chief Executives for Corporate Purpose. And their new CEO um, has, they have a meeting called the Board of Boards. They have about 60 different CEOs under Chatham House rules that talk about purpose. And, you know, more and more and more, especially during COVID-19, you know, that companies need to show their humanity. Right. And the ones that, that have their purpose that is activated, that they had more clarity about their purpose, we're much faster in terms of recognizing got to protect our employees first, got to work from home, got to help the healthcare you know, responders and providers. We've got to get them PPE. We've got to feed them. Um, you know, that those companies that, that had an activated purpose that knew it responded quicker and better. Um, there's this, you know, conversation going around now. I'm, I'm seeing it in some of the writings and, and um, that, you know, purpose is going to be the, you know, the, the next thing for everyone. And it's the panacea for COVID-19. It's not the panacea for COVID-19. But it is absolutely critical strategy for companies, big and small, because it doesn't have to just be about money. It can be about volunteerism. It can be about changing your manufacturing, as we've seen the luxury brands now making hand sanitizer. It's about virtual volunteering. It's things you can do that don't have to cost a lot, but when you do them right, smart, right, sustained over time, you will change the relationships you have with your core stakeholders, and you're going to get stories to tell that you just can't make up. That's why it's an exciting time. It's a scary time, but I believe those companies that have an activated purpose will come back into the market, will rebuild faster, and smarter. So, Carol, do you think, uh, speaking of public relations, you know, agencies, uh, you know, who uh, obviously create and convey the, these uh, uh, purpose programs, um, do you think uh, that they have uh, enabled themselves as businesses to run differently from the way public relations agencies have run in the past? I, I don't think – well, first of all, there, there are no large purpose firms. Let's just make that point um, because the purpose work is very diffuse um, and it's spread out. I would say that the PR firms have gotten savvier about their stakeholders in general. This has nothing to do with purpose. You know, D&I, 
um, was a was a movement, and now is a fact of life that you have. You know, you're selling to diverse um, you know, consumers or citizens that you want diverse people to work for you because you have much better ideas and outcomes. So DNI is key. Employee engagement and taking care of employees. If you don't have your employees, you have nothing. So I think that um, PR firms, it, it's hard to get a hardcore, candidly, purpose person to work in a generalist PR firm. It's just really hard. You know, I tried to do it at Edelman. I think people came because, dare I say, me. Um, I was, you know, because they knew I was the real deal. And Richard really wanted to be a force for good. But then you have the other types of clients, you know, black hat, white hat, et cetera. It's hard to be really authentic in that kind of environment. Right. So I think the PR firms are doing the best they can. I think it's the pure plays that are their boutiques. It's like Carol Cohn on purpose. You know, we are small and we can expand to be large. But, you know, we've had, we've represented 10, 15, $20 billion companies developing their purpose. Sure. So it's not about, um, the size, it's about the expertise and the authenticity, the passion and the knowledge. So Carol, are there one or two like most significant case studies from among your many that that you're say most proud of? But, well, he, he, the answer to that question is, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent of kids, but you never say you like one better than the other. But um, <laughs> yeah. I would say that um, the thing that keeps me excited is that I continue to do breakthrough ideas and work. And I'm not patting myself on the back, but when you get the right client, and then also they'll, you know, I'm, people know I'm a dog with a sock. When I have an idea, I have an idea. And, you know, a, a good salesman gets nine no's before they get a yes. I mean, Rockport was as difficult as the Aflac, my special Aflac duck was difficult. Um, maybe my special Aflac duck was a little less because Dan Amos loved his Aflac duck and he created that idea. And, you know, that was over a $20 billion asset, albeit they also donated true to heart over $125 million to pediatric cancer in Atlanta mostly, but nobody knew about it because they were humble. And so uh, we were asked to try and, you know, solve that problem. How can the brand Aflac and their deep heart come together in an authentic way. And um, when I, I actually had that idea very, very early on in our process. We have a process that we take clients through. We've codified it. I codified it in year 10 because clients were just like all over the place. And there's ways you capture data and background and do landscape analysis and figure out there's no perfect social issue for a company, but there's, You've got to find the right ones to build off their core competencies and, and ring true. And, you know, I knew of a young man who made social robots for kids with illnesses. And um, I talked to him before I, you know, brought the idea, before we presented the idea at AFLAC. And he said absolutely he could do it. And when we presented all of our research and what were other companies doing and where was the open position in pediatric cancer, because that was the issue, and we found social and emotional needs for a child going through. The core insight in all of that research, a child goes through, you said it, a 1,000 days on average of P 
pediatric cancer treatments. Those, that's like three years of loneliness and illness and separation and isolation. Imagine we've been going through what, 45 days of isolation? Imagine a child as young as three, five, eight, 10, 12, and they lose all control. And play is a way that they get control again. And so we created this, um, this social robot. I brought in Sproutel, a wonderful young firm in Providence, Rhode Island, who makes these social robots. And they spent a year studying what children need. This, this robot was from the ground up designed. It's got four patents pending, three motors. It's 11 inches high, weighs about four pounds. It has emojis you put on its chest that play out the emotion because many of these children cannot say how they feel when they're so sick and they're really young. And the duck goes, if, if you ask a child how you're feeling and they just had chemo the day before, they're feeling pretty bad. They take the green emo- emoji, they put it on the duck's chest, and the duck goes, quack, quack, quack. <laughs> Little ducky is not feeling good. But then they have the silly emoji because the child's now three or four days post-chemo. They're feeling better. The nurse comes in. How are you feeling? They put that funny little emoji on the chest, and the duck goes, and you can imagine poor Sproutel had to come up with all of those voices for the duck. And and then when we presented this idea, and it was only on paper, there wasn't a real duck, to Dan Amos. Um, he, he was quite, it's one of those points of an agency, like you're going to fall through the floor because he did not say a word for a half an hour. And I've got a hit, you know, I've got a stone in the bottom of my stomach. And all of a sudden he gets up and he's very quiet and he kind of wrings his hands together and he walks around his you know conference room and he turns around and he says, this is the best idea I've ever heard. Oh my and, and it, it was an amazing moment, and, and then he and, and um, his wife, who's president of the, the Aflac Foundation, they agreed that they would fund a major, major portion from their own personal philanthropy. Wow. And then the duck took off, and, you know, Sproutel was a fabulous partner, Catherine Blades at Aflac and John Sullivan and, and, and Buffy Swinehart, phenomenal partners. Uh, my partner at Carol Quinn on Purpose, Talia Bosch, I mean, we built this all from scratch together, and, uh, you know, when we went to, um, again, I, you know, I really go for big ideas, and I knew this had to be introduced at um, CES, just knew it, and Affleck went, oh, no, 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 we're not going to CES, no, 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 and I went, yeah, trust me, go, and <laughs> we applied um, for, they have, they have these awards that you can apply for ahead of time, and we applied for a Tech for a Better World award, there were like 250 in the category, and we won. And we decided that was like that was like credibility right there. And so we decided also to go with Sproutel. So Sproutel, you know, we didn't have a giant Aflac booth. booth. We had a little teeny tiny, you know, ten by ten or whatever, um, in Eureka Park where all the startups are. And you know, at CES pre-COVID, two there's almost like I think 150,000 people there. It's crazy. So we won the Tech for a Better World award. Then we won Best Unexpected Product. We were on, you know, we had two billion impressions, two billion in a week. I worked. And wow. we knew because it was so surprising and sweet and honest and, and just authentic. And then we went from there to, then that was, we won the Time Magazine, one of the best inventions. We went to South by Southwest and won Best in Technology there, People's Choice, uh, The Drum, Best in Technology. Um, I think PR Week, we were Campaign of the Year. 
on and on and on. Then we applied at Cannes. And we were invited to speak at Cannes because you don't know whether you're making it to the finals. You have to be on site. We spoke and we won two lions. And that to me was just, you know, and also I was on television there and I was interviewed by the BBC and Tina DeHaley, who's just an amazing commentator. She called me the purpose queen. (laughs) And I also had the duck, you know, doing some interviews there. So that was just an amazing experience. Sorry, that was a very long answer. <laughs> now, I do have others right, that I love. Um, I love Go absolutely. Red for Women with, with America, American Heart, um, which was named uh, by PR Week uh, readers as one of the top 20 campaigns of the year. And by the way, my special act, Last Duck, was named by PR Week readers in the U.K. as the number one, number one idea um, at Cannes. So that well, was really, really very makes you satisfying. Proud, it? Yeah. it makes me really proud. Yeah. So, Carol, for for my final question uh, today, and you have been absolutely marvelous, you know, and and truly uh, responsive to the mission that you have set out to uh, accomplish in in your professional life and the role you know you have played in in purpose and cause related marketing and all the you know all the iterations of uh, of uh, uh, the same theme, I guess, uh, represented in more and more sophisticated ways going forward. But I wanted to ask mm. you a question about yourself. Um, you know, like who is Carol Cohn outside of business? Like who are, who are some of your heroes and what are some of your hobbies? What do you, what Oh you God, my your, heroes. In my, your it's interesting. My heroes. Time? Yeah. Well, my heroes are interestingly, they're writers. They're creative writers, which are um, JK Rowling. I mean, I, love, I read Harry Potter like three times. So all the, read the books and the movies. Um, Aaron Sorkin, unfriggin' believable. He, he is so creative. Um, you know, whether it's The West Wing or, or whether it's The Newsroom um, and or To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. So I love Aaron Sorkin. And I also love Shonda Rhimes, who is another amazing writer, screenplay, creative. So I love words. Um, you know, my first year in college, it's interesting. I, I went to a Skidmore College, a girls' school, because I wanted to take my horse. And um, it, that didn't last. I, you know, after like six weeks, I knew I had to transfer. But I won the, um, the riding, the horsemanship award for riding. And I also won, the, I was the number one student in the school at a 4.0 Q. And then I went to Brandeis and went, became a crazy radical. But um, <laughs> so I love horses. Um, people uh, at, Brand- at at Skidmore, my nickname was Crash. I had a really bad fall and I hit the, my head against the wall. But you know, I, I I got up and lived to ride another day. Um, I, I was national horse jumping champion called the Adult Hunters, which is uh, it's not that high; it's three feet. But I beat you know hundreds and hundreds of others in 2006. Um, <clears throat> so I love horses. Um, I also love gardening, and I also love cats. And we just got a puppy because, our, unfortunately, our dog <laughs> passed away really at the beginning of this whole crisis. So we got a puppy, so I'm learning to like dogs in addition to cats and horses. Mm-hmm. Um, I also are very much – I'm into speed and balance sports, so I used to windsurf. I'd go to Hawaii to windsurf. Um, once I got a horse, that killed that, that idea. But I, I was skiing, rollerblading, and now I ride a, road, a street road bike. So um, I like to be pretty active for sure. God, you certainly have a lot of energy, don't you? Oh, I, oh, I do, and, I, and that was a gift from my mother. Um, 
So, you know, you know, and I just want anybody listening to this, I just want to say that if you can, you got to be a great student about purpose. You've got to read, read, read. I mean, there's so many great, you know, blogs and books and webinars and conferences because you owe it. If you're going to make this part of your repertoire or make this your career, you have got to do it strategically. This is not about just, you know, one media story, no offense, guys. It's not about the bows, the pink, the blue, the green, or whatever. And we haven't even talked about the environment. My God, and we haven't even talked about much about COVID. Albeit, I think that the invisible people in the world are being made our heroes. And we owe them a lot. So I have a big idea, by the way, um, of creating a movement for good. Um to take advantage of the humanity, not take advantage in a bad way, but a great way, you know, make a movement, create a civic century of engagement with the volunteerism and with, you know, buying products from companies that really make a difference and advocating to Congress or your local school board um, or just voting. And part of this is from my, it's from my gut, but it's also, we also represent Point the Light. And it's their 30th anniversary, and they are, you know, they want to create and accelerate the civic century movement for good. So, if there's anybody listening that wants to be part of the all together movement, just send me an email. It's, it's Carol at CarolConeOnPurpose.com. Send me an email. The other thing is, I've got to give a plug is for um, please, please, please download my podcast. You know, run with it, ride your bike, walk your dog or whatever, take a bath. It's it's a master's level course in purpose. I've got great people. I've had about 45 episodes, and I love doing it. We're going to interview uh, Tata Consulting uh, this week. Um, and also, um, I pivoted a bit during these, high, these tough times to create a podcast called Humanity at Its Best. And it's anybody out there listening, if you've done something to help people during COVID, just send me an email. Um, the email should go to p360podcast at gmail.com. p360podcast at gmail.com. We are interviewing people of all different ages and stages just doing the most incredible work. And we want to continue to tell those stories in addition to the more, you know, the business stories about purpose and strategy. Well, Carol Cohn, you have definitely given us a master's course today. And, <laughs> and on behalf of PR Masters podcast series, I really, really thank you. This is, this is a, uh, a uh, podcast that I truly, personally, was looking forward to because of your incredible reputation in our industry and all the contributions you have made. So, Carol But you Cohn, know what, Art, can I just – I want to interrupt for a second. You can edit this or whatever. It's not about me. It's about we. And if you, I will tell you what we will all have learned, I hope, from COVID, it's about generosity. If we want to call the next movement the generosity movement, then let's call it that. And the funniest thing is, is none of this is funny, but I had a horse that I named Dr. Generosity. <laughs> um, after a bar in New York, so go figure. But in, God, in the early, in the 70s, Dr. Generosity was a wonderful horse. I was New England champion. But my point here is that we must learn from COVID. We must be selfless. We must social distance 
so we don't have more deaths. If you got to go on that beach, guys, you darn well better have six feet of distance and wash your hands like crazy. But don't waste this moment in time to show your humanity going forward. Volunteerism, I, my goal, you didn't ask me, like, what's the next thing for me? The next thing, thing for me is I want to do more of my special athletic ducks. I want to do an animal, a social robot for kids with autism. If there's anybody listening, this is mostly going to be funded by philanthropists. If you have a connection to autism, Sprout Tell and I want to help children communicate more through a specially created social robot. So that's one thing I want to do. The second thing is I want to do for Points of Light, I want to do the civic century movement, this generosity movement. And then there are probably some other ideas out there that I still want to do because um, I just love doing it. And our society needs it. And when you do it in your work or as a volunteer, it changes your perspective. Well, Carol, all I can say is it's so wonderful and refreshing to have somebody like you on our podcast who truly uh, believes in the uh, the benefits of what you do and, and its contributions to society as a whole. So, Carol Cohn, again, thank you so much for joining us today and t- sharing your views with us. Oh, it's my, my pleasure. And please, and I always end my podcast with this question, what's your purpose? Good question. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in to another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. This has been a very refreshing and, and really beneficial podcast today. And Carol Cohn, thank you again. Until the next time, I'm Mark Stevens wishing you all the very best. <laughs>